shackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me, oh, He touched me, He touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul, something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me Since I met this blessed Savior, since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, me. and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me I trust you've been touched by the Master. If you haven't, you need to be. Well, I'll tell you what, what a difference He makes in our lives. Amen? Let's go ahead and take our Bibles. Look over the book of Psalm, chapter 127, verse 5. I mean, excuse me, chapter 127, verse 1. That'll be good. We'll read through verse 5. Psalm, chapter 127. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Pretty much right smack dab in the center. Psalm 127, we're in our series, For the Family. We started a segment or uh, an area called a mind, uh, a scriptural mindset, a scriptural mindset. And so last week when we talked about the family, we talked about the, the, the family, the focus of society, the focus of society. Today we want to consider the focus, excuse me. The um, foundation of society, that's what it was. And today we want to talk about the focus of Satan. And so we're going to look at the family today again and see what we can't glean and what we can't learn along the way. 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, For so he giveth his beloved sleep. 
Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Again, last week we began our series for the family, and we started, as we said, addressing this issue of the family, the foundation of society. I mean, the foundation of society is rooted in the family. And so it's so important to keep that in mind as we move along. You take the family now, it's rooted in marriage. Marriage, according to the Word of God, is defined as one man, one woman for life. But even this foundational truth is being changed and redefined by our culture today. I'm very concerned today about the state and the future of the biblical family. Very concerned about that. As a result of that, it is essential because of the changing mores that we live in, because of the world in which we live, it is essential that we draw all of our ideas, our ideology, our philosophy, our outlook from the Word of God, this book that God wrote. It's important that we understand that we cannot take our cue from a culture that is corrupt. We must take our cue from a word which is pure. And that's God's Word. See, family is the most basic, foundational, and beneficial social group that that has ever existed. God intended it to be such. And society is built upon marriage, the family, and the home. If the home, as we said last week, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And we see a deterioration of the home and the family today. And as a result of that, we see a problem in our country, in our nation. And we, we need to get back to family. We need to get back to God-ordained authority. We need to let God have His way in our life. Listen, we can't expect the world to embrace the biblical perspective, the biblical mindset. We can't expect the world to embrace biblical standards and roles and the biblical model. We we can't expect that. But we, we can demand of ourselves as the children of God to align ourselves with the Word of God, to... Be that example to somehow help the world to see that God's way is perfect and that it does work as He has outlined in Scripture. And so this week, I want to continue our series and I want to address this topic again, the family, the focus of Satan. Because it being the foundation of society, you can rest on it, you can bet on it that the devil wants to destroy it. And so I want to take a few moments today and I want to look at that topic, the family, the focus of Satan. So let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer. We'll take just a few moments and we'll look at that. Father, we ask, Lord, for your leadership today. Again, Lord, what we're going to address, what we're going to share is from you and your word. Father, help us, Lord, just to be receptive and open to it. Father, Lord, may you be glorified in it. And again, Lord, we do live in a world that is changing rapidly. But, Lord, I'm glad that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That doesn't mean, Lord, that we can't create a new song. It doesn't mean that we can't uh, utilize technology. It doesn't mean that we can't step into the 21st century. But what it does mean, Lord, is that we don't want to do anything that will compromise you and your word. Father, help us now, Lord, to align ourselves with you, to allow ourselves to agree with you, and then to act out on the word of God. Father, bless your people today. And Lord, meet our needs this morning. We'll thank you in Christ's name. 
Amen. As we consider this idea or this topic, the focus of Satan concerning the family, I want to note Satan's desire, his desire. Take your Bible, if you would, look over at the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12. Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12. First of all, his desire is to weaken the family. It's to weaken the family. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12, we read an interesting verse. The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Now again, the passage is speaking of Satan. It's talking about the devil. And of course, we know that before his fall, he was named Lucifer, and that's his title. And yet here we find now that, obviously, in our time, this dispensation in which we live, he's no longer Lucifer. He's no longer uh, that, that archangel that, that is there before the throne of God. Now he's cast down as a result of his rebellion and disobedience to God. But it says here in the passage, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? And here it is, which did weaken the nation which did weaken the nations. There's an element of prophecy here. There's coming a time when Satan will be in his rightful place, when Satan will finally be put in his place, where ultimately the world, the nations, and those around will look upon him and say, who in the world is that? They'll say, that was the one that used to strike fear in your heart. That was the one who used to rule nations. That's the one who was the God of this world. That's the one who... who rebelled against God and led mankind into rebellion against God. And we'll go, wow, that's amazing. And, and we'll think to ourselves as we hear, the, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? As goes the family, so goes the nation. And let me tell you something. The devil knows exactly what he needs to do to disrupt our, our, our national heritage. He knows exactly what he needs to do to get a grip on, on our nation, and that is to wreck and ruin our families, to weaken the family, to weaken the family. If he can weaken your family, he can ultimately weaken this nation. And if there's one nation on the planet of earth that over the last hundred years has been used to evangelize the world, it has been the United States of America. But my friend, that is changing rapidly and very quickly. And now we have missionaries coming to the United States. Why? Because our nation has been weakened. And it was weakened at the very foundation. And that foundation is in our marriages and in our home is where it started. To weaken the family. But also he wants to wreck the family. I don't know about you, but I can't help but think right off the bat as we begin to open this book called the Word of God, we run smack dab into Genesis chapter 1 and we see the Lord God creating all things. And before it's over with in chapter 2, we see Him placing man there in a garden and breathing into Him the breath of life. And ultimately we find that there is a man there who is lonely and although he has every uh, ability to fellowship with the animals and it is likely and it seems uh, relevant that they indeed could respond and communicate with him at that point before the fall. The fact is, is that he was still lonely and there was no help meet found for him. And God took a rib from the side of Adam and he created woman and there the two of them basked together in that perfect environment and in fellowship one with another and with God until the day that Satan entered in. Oh, he had been there all along, but now all of a sudden we're going to note that he assaults humanity. Right off the bat, at the very beginning, he seeks to overturn God's pattern of marriage 
And in one strategic, one detrimental act of treachery, he undermines not only the family, but God's entire system of earthly rule. It's amazing. I want you to think about this with me, if you would. God, the Bible says, is the head of man. Man, the Bible says, is the head of woman. Mankind, together, men and women, preside over the animal kingdom. That is a hierarchy of authority that was established. It does not state who's most important, who's most valuable, who is the smartest. That has nothing to do at all with the passage. But what it does do is it establishes a hierarchy of authority that God addresses. And that hierarchy of authority was established for a purpose and, and, and for a reason. This particular pattern was turned upside down when Satan entered into that garden and tempted Eve. Think about it for, for a moment. Just think about this. An animal, the serpent, came to a woman, Eve, counseled her to act independently of her husband, Adam, and then to disobey their creator, God. Now think about what just happened there. Literally, that hierarchy of authority was totally turned upside down. Satan's plan was extremely successful, as you and I well know. He won immediate victory over them and their lives. And let me tell you, he didn't stop there with having victory over that marriage, wrecking and ruining the God-given authority that was supposed to be in place. But now, all of a sudden, he turns to the two children that are the offspring of that relationship, and now he goes ahead and he seeks to bring division among the two of them, where brothers and sisters ought to remain uh, in unified. And together, Satan places seeds of, of doubt and seeds of, of envy in the hearts of this particular Cain, this older son. And before it's over with, he slays his younger brother. Abel. Satan single-handedly managed to inject poison between spouses, siblings, and every single human relationship that would exist from that point on. Right off the bat, he's attacking the family. You say, well, that's all there was. And exactly right. That's where it all starts, and that's where it all ends. We know it began with God and then the family. And may I say to you today that marriage is a foundational element in our culture. And if we're messing with that, we're messing with the foundation of our culture and our nation. And the fact is, is if you mess with the family, you will wreck and ruin a nation. And the truth is, is that Satan himself knew how to weaken the nations. He attacked the home and the family. But I tell you, he's not content with just simply weakening. He wants to wreck it. And boy, did he do a good job in Genesis. And he's doing a pretty good job today from time to time from what I can tell. But it's not enough just to wreck the family. He wants to wipe out the family. He wants to totally destroy the family. Over in the book of John, would you turn there please? John chapter 10 verse 10. Move forward in your Bible. John chapter 10, verse 10. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking says, The thief, referring to Satan, cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. There you have his resume, folks. Satan's resume right there before us. What, what, what's, what's he bring to the table? Well, steal, kill, and destroy. The real goal of Satan is to wipe the family out. 
He'd be pleased to see the family go away for good. Not just be weakened, not just be wrecked, but literally wiped out. Kate Millett, a Woman Liberation Movement member, she writes in her book, Sexual Politics, quote, The family must go because it is the family that has oppressed and enslaved women. It's got to go because it's, it's, it's at the root of every evil of our society and culture because it has been the, the reason why women have been enslaved. Let's get rid of the family. That'll solve the problem. David Cooper, a British physician, states in his book, The Death of the Family, the best thing society could do is to abolish the family altogether. You say those are just isolated ideas and thoughts. No, if you recall correctly in our government and in our, our world right, right lately, especially in our nation, boy, we have really emphasized the need for a family, for a community to raise our children. Not a home, but a community. Let me tell you something. I agree that there's an element where it needs more than just a dad and a mom. We need pastors and we need Sunday school teachers and we need even teachers at that level to encourage our children in the right direction, to reinforce the things that are being taught from the pulpit and in the Word of God. But the fact is today is that the truth is is that the home is under attack. The family is under attack. We're trying to dismember the family trying to cause it to disintegrate and ultimately be destroyed. These viewpoints of these radicals are not so uncommon as we may think. So we see Satan's desire. Again, the family is the foundation of society. Therefore, Satan is focused on it. He's focused on that family. What's uh, some of his devices then? What's he going to use to accomplish his goals? His goal to, as we said already, weaken, wreck, and ultimately wipe out the family. Take your Bible, if you would, please. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, please, verse 9. <clears throat> it must be understood that we can be privy to his devices. We don't have to be caught off guard, unaware. Notice what the passage says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9-11. through 11. <clears throat> Paul the Apostle is writing, of course, to the church at Corinth. And again, he's going to be addressing some issues. Uh, they'd had a, a man that was involved in some real immorality, and ultimately he encourages the church to bring, them back in, bring him back into the fold. He's made repentance now. He has a desire to uh, be right with God and the family, church family. And, and, the, and, and Paul the Apostle ultimately says, listen, you need to bring this guy back in. If you don't, he's going to be wrecked and ruined by the world. He needs to have opportunity to once again be back into fellowship and under the umbrella protection of the local church and the family of God. And very wise wisdom, by the way. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Watch this. Why did you do that, Paul? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul says, we're not ignorant. I understand that if I fail to forgive, if I'm not going to be open and, 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 and loving and, and, and gracious to people, I'm going to give Satan an advantage. I, I, and I understand his devices. 
And you know what? You and I can understand those devices. And as we look at our culture and as we look at our world and then we consider our family, we can look at what Satan is doing and say, hey, wait, that is one of the devices of Satan. Hey, there's a device of Satan. We need to be very careful in this area because he's utilizing it to dismember, destroy, and disintegrate the family. So what are some of those devices? Number one, let me say evolution. Evolution. Evolution effectively undermines the very existence of God, and it renders the Word of God obsolete. Uh, Evolution is, is, is a horrible, horrible theory. It is not fact. It is a theory. No Bible... No God-ordained authority anymore. No definition of marriage. No distinction between the sexes or their roles. No standard for discipline or family structure. What we end up with is a philosophy of what's called humanism. There are no absolute standards anymore. Evolution has said there's no God. And if there's no God, there's no word. And if there's no word, there's no absolute truth. Let me tell you something. You take the Word of God away from the family, it has no foundation to stand on. Culture can define what family is. Culture can define what marriage is then. But let me tell you something. No Supreme Court justice, no man on this planet, no woman on this planet has a right to supersede and exceed God's authority, this book, the Word of God, and marriage is defined and so is the family, so are the roles and so are the responsibilities of men and women. May God help us not to discard this book because the moment we do, we embrace worldly Philosophy. Evolution. Humanism is a system of thought that has been around for years now. Especially back in the 1960s, it especially took hold and it began to grow. But it is a system of thought that centers on human beings and their value, their worth, their capacity for truth and goodness apart from God. God has been taken out of the equation now. Let me tell you something, that only hurts the family. The humanistic, humanist society of western New York begins its definition of humanism as, quote, a joyous alternative to religious uh, religions that believe in a supernatural God and life in a hereafter. Now, now, let me read that again. Here's how it begins its definition of humanism. The very beginning... A joyous alternative, that's an oxymoron, by the way, because according to our word, that they are without God and without hope in the world. But anyway, they state, a joyous alternative to religions that believe in a supernatural God and life in a hereafter. That's what humanism is. It's an alternative. A, no, not just an alternative, excuse me. A joyous alternative. No God. How happy, how joyous is that? Free at last, free at last, hallelujah, free at last. That's exactly where they're going with it. This humanistic philosophy is responsible for such atrocities as abortion. A woman has a right to choose. She's good in nature, in in her heart of hearts. She has a spark of divinity. She's fine. She has every right to make that choice. I don't care if there's a man involved or not. It doesn't matter. It's her body. She do as she pleases. That's humanistic thinking. And listen, you remove the word of God, anything's possible. 
Hey, by the way, it's also, it's also responsible for the philosophy or thought of euthanasia. You know, why in the world should we keep all you old people around here if you can't contribute positively to society? Does that offend you? I hope it does, because it offends me. It bothers me that in 20-some years, I'll probably be given a little pill because I'm going to be taking from the society that I invested in instead of giving back to it. That bothers me a little bit. Since when does man have a right to take life? The sanctity of life has been totally and completely abandoned, it seems almost, as a result of humanism, which is rooted and grounded in evolution. Thank you, preacher. This is really a blessing. Evolution. Number two, what's another one of these devices? Technology. Technology. Let's get on this train a while. All of the advances over the last hundred years were, from what I understand, supposed to provide us with more time. That's why you do things. It's more efficient. Provides us with more time. I'm sure that many of the advances of society and our culture and our world have indeed uh, brought about that goal. I don't doubt that. I'm sure. But as of late, let me tell you, it seems to me the advances we've seen have only increased our stress levels and effectively complicated our lives. In the 90s, that's a long time ago, isn't it? Seems like yesterday to... Brother Kavanaugh. <laughs> to me, it doesn't. It seems like a long time ago. But anyway, in the 90s, 77% of people surveyed, selected, watch this now, spending time with family and friends as their top priority. As in the 90s. Spending time with family and friends as their top priority. There it is. Yet families, in my, from my perspective, never seem to achieve this worthy goal. Every time we turn around, we're hearing about family. I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough time. I can't spend time with my family. I can't spend time. Oh, I need more time off. I need to go here. I need to go here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Uh. Well, what about all this technology that's afforded you all this extra time? In fact, homes, get this. In fact, homes with teenagers, it's said that the father spends less than 15 minutes per week in interaction with them. Can you imagine? Why would you have children and not interact? I read one article where the woman says, the the, the title of the article is, um, I work to get away from my kids. That's exactly what she said, right on the top front of the article. I mean, had a, I mean, a sharp-looking woman, sharp-looking guy, two beautiful kids. She talks about how wonderful her life is when she can finally feed herself all day long and then go home, and then she talks about doing all these things with her kids. I say right now, she isn't doing it. She's too tired. Don't kid me. A little fed up with that kind of stuff. You can't be super mom. You can't be super dad. You're just human, and so am I. But that was what bothers me a little bit. We want to spend more time with our kids, so what do we do? We get all these inventions, and we have all this technology, and it's supposed to give us all this time. And yet dads, according to this, this statistic, 15 minutes per week. By the way, let me interject something. I just want to make sure that you understand this. The church is not the reason for waning family time. 
See, the majority of folks don't even attend church, let alone come in the evenings. And, 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 and in case after case after case, it seems to me that those that do experience stronger families. I've never seen anybody that brings their family to church regularly, consistently, and faithfully. That's, I, I, I don't, I, I, I've had them say it. We just don't have time to serve the Lord. We, we don't have any family time. Maybe it's all those baseball leagues. Maybe it's all that television. Maybe it's all that other stuff out there that we're involved in. Maybe it's all those hours at work so you can provide your kids with a brand new set of tennis shoes every year. Maybe it's something like that. Why is it always God's fault? And he's the one that has to suffer when we don't have time. Now, that's not the case here because you're here. But let me tell you something. Around this country, there are churches with pews empty all around the country. And many of them are saying, that's the only time I have to spend with my family. Oh, you, you just knock on some doors with me and you'll hear those things. I'm so, that's my only day, really, to, to just relax. I spend all day Saturday or all day Tuesday or whatever day off I have uh, to do the things I need to do around the house and to take care of all those chores and responsibilities. And then Sunday's my only day to relax. I hear it all the time. Uh, wait a second. I thought that phone you got in your pocket, I thought that computer you got in your house, I thought that television you have will help you to be better at everything you do and be more efficient and effective. I thought you'd have all kinds of time to serve Jesus. Technology is a tool that Satan has used to distract God's people and to distract our culture from what's most important, and that is your family. Our motives may be right. I mean, 77% of people in the 90s said spending time with family and friends. I, I hope it's family more than friends. I really think that the friend thing is, bothers me sometimes. But anyway... Family for sure, and then if there's time left, we'll spend it with friends. Every time I turn around, somebody's going to, he wants to spend time with his friends, but he don't want to be with me. She wants to spend time with her friends, go out with her girls' friends, but she don't want to spend time with me. Let's be careful with that families first, not our friends. That's, that's hard on a family when mom and dad don't put mom and dad first. That's hard on a family. So our motives may be right, but we're not really achieving them. Now, phones are a distraction in the home and in public. I mean, I'm just, I told you, we're going to talk about technology. Satan's using these things to disintegrate and destroy the phone. I don't care what you say. It doesn't even matter. I'm up here today, so I get to talk. Cell phones, listen, cell phone use on the roadways has increased accidents. Has it not? Cell phone use in the workplace has decreased production. Cell phone use in the home has crippled relationships. I mean, every time I see these things anymore, somebody's telling me how detrimental they are. Oh, we're trying to get past the idea that they cause cancer because that would be terrible if we found that out because we couldn't live without them. So we'll just tell and pacify people that it certainly can't hurt to have all these waves running through your brain. But let me tell you something. Cell phone use is destroying us. It's ruining our families. You say, I, I don't believe it. You're not telling the truth. Listen, when an eight-year-old has a smartphone in their hand, do you think they're going to be listening to you, Mom, when they could be watching or looking at something that really interests them? It's unbelievable to me. 
You need to look around you and, and what you're going to see is you're going to see moms on the phone while they're driving while children are in the car. They're not communicating with their children. They're talking to their friends. They're talking to somebody at work. They're not talking to their kids and fellowshipping and having an opportunity to grow closer to their kids and to develop a relationship with them. They're too busy on their phones. Families can be seen sitting around tables all engrossed in their devices. Four or five of them at a table. Everybody's got a phone out. Everybody's... Nobody's talking. Nobody's communicating. Nobody's enjoying one another. We're already so far out that we don't even know anything exists in our immediate location. There's no communication, no interaction, no real quality contact between family members. Hey, that's progress. Progress. We face a screen much more often than we face, than, than, than a face today. I mean, we are face-to-face with screens, but not individuals. I, I remember telling my wife, it was probably almost 20 years ago now, I said, banks, are, are, it's going to be bad. I, I said, I think it's a demonic, a demonic uh, attempt to keep soul winners from reaching people in our communities. Everything's going to be done online. Everything's going to be done, you know, at a distance. Everything will be done on a computer. Nobody will see anybody in person. Nobody will talk to anybody in person. And boy, we saw it with banks right off the bat. And now it seems everything else. Don't have to go to the grocery store. You can just order online. Don't have to go to the mall. Don't just order online. Don't have to be involved with anybody, anything. Just stay home on your little device. You're set. You're good. You live. You survive. Man, and yet all along, nobody's that reaching out. Nobody's connecting. No relationships. Man, listen, neighbor day, you know how important neighbor day is to me? I've got neighbors that I don't even, they won't even wave to me. I've got neighbors that just walk right by and act like you're not even there. Why? Because we don't really want to have to talk to people. We don't want to face people. We don't want to interact. You want to know why? Because we haven't done it for so long, we don't even know how. Yeah. And this generation that's being raised doesn't know how to deal with, they can talk about homeschooling being a downfall to social, you know, uh, the ability of children to be socialized in their community. And all. Ah, bull. Let me tell you something. You get them, give them those phones and give them those TVs and let them go hunker down in their rooms all night, every night. Then don't talk to me about socialization. The best socialization they should have is with mom and dad because they're going to become more like the people they spend time with. And I want them to be more like me than I do those other kids running around out there. So I never heard nothing like that. I know. That's why I'm saying it. So we face a screen much more than we face faces today. Television consumes America. 50% of our children, 6 to 17, have a TV in their room. Did you you just hear what I said? Over 50% of children, 6 to 17. Now, if you change that that age bracket, that will change the the number drastically. But we're talking 6-year-olds to 17. 50% of them, according to these numbers, have a television in their room. Children watch television on average... 1,680 minutes or 28 hours per week. And that's average. That means there's some that do a lot more. And there's a few probably that don't, like the ones that actually go play on the football team or actually go outside and play with their friends. Well, there's not our friends anymore because we're all on our phones. But anyway, it wasn't that long ago that we spent time around the dinner table. But see, technology's changed that. Do you realize 60 years ago, the average dinner time was 90 minutes? 
I mean, dinner time. You, 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 it was an event. I mean, you went to dinner and you sat down and everybody started, you prayed, and then all of a sudden you started passing food around and fellowshipping and talking. And 90 minutes later, you got up after, after saying, may I please be excused? Now, we're lucky to sit down at a table, let alone actually spend any time. As a matter of fact, the, the statistic says today it's less than 12 minutes. You know what that says to me? If that's the average, that means there's a lot of people not even sitting at a table eating. The reality is that many families spend virtually no time around the dinner table. They eat every meal in front of what? The television or their computers. Isn't that sad? Do you want to talk about destroying the family? We wonder what... My kid, I don't understand. I take him to church. And yet all of a sudden he just goes off the deep end. I try to talk to him. I try to talk to her. They don't even want to listen to me. Maybe because they know all you're going to tell them is negative things. You've never spent any time talking to them already. So why do they want to hear it now? The only reason you want to talk to me is because you want to stick your finger in my face. When's the last time you want somebody to just stick their finger? Oh, good to see you, preacher. You've never stopped by. You never talked to me at church. You never have anything to do with me. And then the only time you want to talk to me is doing, you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You say, I don't even want to talk to him. Don't talk to me. You ain't got time to talk to me at church. You don't want to at least shake my hand on Sunday morning if you walk right by me and you, you just have nothing to do with me. Don't come to me if you've got some problem. You know, that's exactly what our kids are doing now with their families. Why in the world do they want to listen to mom and dad when they get into trouble when mom and dad haven't spent one lick of time with them telling them, hey, we love you. We're so glad that you're part of our family. We thank God for you every day. We pray for you regularly, consistently. You're on our heart. You're on our mind. How'd your day go today? So what's happening in your life? What do you mean that friend did that? Are you kidding me? What do you think about that? You don't like it? Good, because neither does God. I mean, what, whatever happened to finding out what the kids think, what they feel, talking to them, communicating, enjoying. Listen, technology stole that from us. It's stealing that. If it hasn't already, it is doing a good job of it. See... We were aware in my home, just like some of you are probably very aware, that TV distanced us from our children in so many ways. It just did. And, and, and that was years ago, mind you. I mean, my, my uh, youngest is 20 now, so if I go back eight years from now, he would be 12 years old. Now, some of you are going, man, that, wow, only eight years ago he was only 12? Yeah, 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 I'm not as old as you think. But anyway, the fact is, is that, is that we, we are, we're very aware, like some of you are, that that, that TV would distance our children. So... We limited it to their, to, in their lives. We limited it in our home to them. They, they weren't allowed to watch TV when they wanted. They just weren't allowed to watch anything they wanted. They, everything was monitored. Everything was like, you, you, you know, okay, you can watch TV for 30 minutes, but then you're outside for two and a half hours. You know, that kind of mentality. Now, we'd still gather around the TV, though. And we would eat pizza and watch a show together on, on Friday nights. Many of you might do that. Do something like that. Have a movie night or something. And we would do that. And, of course, we'd get every R-rated movie we could possibly find and watch it. <laughs> you don't really believe that, I hope. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that we would watch some show. Now, now here's the thing. It, it, today, television is not limited to a square on a stand or on a wall. But it's available on every device we own. Now, I want you to think about that with me for a minute. Because, see, is, even though we... we we sat and watched TV as a family for a couple hours. That, that really, if in, in, in the eyes of probably a few generations before that, they went, you're a fool. You're stupid. You guys are nuts. 
They probably would have. And you know what? They're probably right. But here's the thing. Now we won't even be watching TV as a family anymore. Now everybody watches whatever they want to watch. Nobody sits down. We don't even watch the same show and comment about the show. We don't all go, wow, did you see that? Oh, man. We don't even do that now. Now, Susie's over there going, <laughs> Johnny's over there going, yeah. Dad's over there going, oh, man. And Mom's over there going, woohoo! I just spent more money on Shoppers Network. But, but anyway, the, the fact is, is that, the, the, you know, the, the fact is everybody's watching something else, something different. Uh, that does not build the family. Technology's killing us. It's killing us. Don't embrace the world's philosophy and, and permit, your, don't permit your children to have too much personal space. Do yourselves a, fa- a favor. Yeah, just be one of those tough parents. You know, the ones that actually tell their children that their room's not off limits to mom and dad, that there's no locks on any doors in our home. You know, I never put a lock on my door. But don't you dare walk in my room without knocking, son. I will knock your head off. You know they didn't walk in my door. They still don't do that. And I'm sure glad they don't. I'm an adult. I got a wife. When you got children in the home, they better learn not to open doors because they might see things they shouldn't see. Like mom's hitting daddy in the head or something with a pan or something. You never know those moms. They're tough characters, you know. You know how it is, moms. You go to the bathroom, what's the first thing you hear? Mom! Mom, I need water! I'm trying to take care of that in here. Just you get out of here. Doors and stuff. I mean, don't give them so much space. There's no privacy. That's private. I understand there's an element of privacy. Don't misunderstand me, but... Listen to me. Be careful. Don't don't let your kids go steal away in the home, in the in the in the uh, room, watching their own shows all the time. Make them stay with the family. Make them go to grandma's together. Amen. Don't let your kids stay home while you go visit grandma. Take your kids with you. Let them learn to appreciate and love grandparents. That's part of family. I, I'm just saying we we got a mess with technology. It's a problem. I think I'll continue this later. It's just too fun. But you know what? We're dealing with a world where the devil has sought to destroy the family. He's using all kinds of devices. You and I, well, we, we need to be wiser than that, than to allow the devil to get a stronghold or a foothold in our homes. I, listen, none of us are perfect. Every one of us have made mistakes. Every one of us fail in areas. We are human. I understand that. But I do want you to be very aware that the foundation of our culture and our society is rooted in the home, the family. Take the time to ground your children in family life. Boy, let them enjoy the family. You no, know, listen, I'm, not, I'm going to talk about this later, but don't believe this, this worldly philosophy of generation gap. There is no... God never created a generation gap. Satan did. 
well, my teenagers want nothing. I, I hear people, well, it won't be long. My teenager and my kids won't want nothing to do with me. As soon as they get a little older, they'll, you know, they'll be on their own doing their own thing. No, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Don't, don't, don't just let them choose. You to choose. You're the parent. You know what's best for them. Guess what? We're going to grandma's. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Knock it off. We're going to grandma's. Let's go. You know, we discipline for attitudes around here, guys. Don't you know that? Don't give me an attitude because we'll discipline it. I, I'm just saying, it doesn't, it's not a problem. If you start them young, <laughs> I never had to go, come on, we're going to grandma's. Whoa, grandma, I want to go. <laughs> that never happened. My kids are like, which one? <laughs> yeah. They love going to grandparents' houses. My kids are in their 20s and married, and they still love to go to grandparents' houses. Honestly, wouldn't you love to have your married 20-some-year-old grandchildren that love to come to your house? Wouldn't you like that? Do you know where that starts? It started in a home years ago as just a baby. My mom and daddy taught me to love family. You know what I taught my children? To love family. And now my parents are reaping the benefit of their effort. All I'm saying is, let's start it where it is. I don't know where you're at now, but start somewhere. Wherever you're at right now, you begin. And start to take it slow. You can't turn over the apple cart all at once. Sometimes it takes time. If you need some help with that, let me know. We'll do our best to help you with that. To give you some advice and encouragement. But God help us not to let Satan get a stronghold or a foothold in our homes. He may be destroying and wrecking and ruining the world's families. God, God help us not to let it happen in ours as the children of God. Father, we come to you.